Welcome to the second podcast in our sermon series, The View From Here. I'm Dan Rambeck, one of the elders at City on a Hill Church, located in Rosemount, Minnesota. Our service is live streamed from the Steeple Center every Sunday at 10 a.m. on both YouTube and Facebook. Paul Stiver will be continuing our series with a sermon called Believe, Living the Gospel of Jesus. Good morning, City on a Hill. Hey, all right, a little call back, actually, a little call and response. I'm just, just my name's Paul Stiver. Uh, I I come from the big city. That's <laughs> weird. Uh, I come from. I'm, norm, I'm normally at, and my wife Allison are normally at uh, Hope Community Church, Lower Town, St. Paul, uh, in St. Paul, downtown St. Paul, uh, where I am a pastoral resident and an elder there, and then I'm also on staff with Hope Community Church. Uh, working with our interns in our Leadership Development Institute. Uh, so that's a little bit about me. Uh, I will apologize uh, for my hair. I'm currently uh, growing. It's in that middle phase. If you've ever grown your hair, I'm in the middle phase of like where it looks terrible. But uh, I'm going to win half the crowd. I'm going to lose half the crowd right now because I'm going to grow a mullet because why not? So I just won half and lost half of the crowd. There, okay, there we go. Um and so I wanted to uh, get started here. Let's see if this baby actually works for me. Hey, we did it! Uh, I've come. This is like my sixth time here, and I've never really gotten this to work. So I'm, this is big. Uh, just put this up here. Just some New Year's resolutions. And thinking about it, we just came into 2021 here, and I, I think uh, for many of us, we tired of the 2020 jokes. Oh, classic! Of course, in 2020, this happened, and and here we are now, just a few days into 2021, and. And maybe you're like me, you're looking at yourself or you're looking at the world and it's like, I don't think much, much has changed. Uh, we've got, you know, these different resolutions people might want to quit smoking or find a new job, enjoy, enjoy life. That's an intense one. Uh, help others, get fit, lose weight, I think is probably the most, when I did a search, that was one of the top. Quit smoking was up at the top. Save money was up at the top. Um, but we have these resolutions and we want to change. And, and that's what we're going to be talking about today is is how does living out the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, actually lead us to be changed people? And so we're in the second week here of uh, the sermon series that Bruce started us off here with last week, the view from here. And, and last week, Bruce looked at belong. And this week, we're going to be looking at believe. And we're going to be looking at living the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the next week, we'll look at following him together become. And so I want to just kind of get into this by way of three concepts here. Uh, and real quick, so we're, we're looking at living the gospel of Jesus, and I just want to explain, I think we've, we've become overrun in Christian circles with this gospel this, gospel that, and we start to lose sight of what that actually means. When we say gospel, it means that Jesus Christ came to earth, the Son of God, that He lived the perfect life, that He died and He rose again from the dead, and that now through Him we have a pathway to true life. Only in Him and in His resurrection life. And so, that's when we say that. that when I say gospel power, gospel knowledge, gospel power, perseverance, it's, it's because of that, because He did that, that changes how I think about those secondary words of power, knowledge, and perseverance. And so, uh, if you're following along in your Bible today, uh, whether handheld or uh, actual paper Bible, they still make those. Um, 
we're going to be in 2 Peter 1 for the most of our time today, and then we'll bounce around elsewhere. But 2 Peter 1, it's uh, after Hebrews and James. It's New Testament. It's kind of hard to find. I, I don't know. I always have a hard time. Uh, and before 1 John. So near the end, near the end of the book, we'll be in 2 Peter 1, and I'm just talking about gospel power, that through our faith in the gospel, through our faith in Jesus, God makes us new. There's actually a power at work there. So let's look at that. Starting in 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted us precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And so we start off and we've got to get right into it. He's going to tell us it's His divine power that has granted us these things. And let's just see that for a second before we get into what does that mean. We've got to see here that God is a giver. God is generous. He's the one who has the divine power. And what does it say? He's granted it to us. He's made it available to us. God is not stingy. God does not hold back. And so we've got to see that. But but So he's making the pathway open to us, Peter's telling us. The pathway has been opened to us for life and godliness. That just, that just means holiness, resemblance of who God is. And he's done this through his divine power. So we've got to ask, what is this divine power? And so for that, we go to the New Dictionary of Biblical Theology, which just says this. It, the divine power does not imply the divinization of the individual, but a sharing of the divine nature by the believer. So, so the fact that we've been granted this divine power doesn't make us God, but that we partake in His nature, in who He is. And then he continues, perhaps equivalent to Paul, the Apostle Paul's indwelling of God's Spirit or John's birth from above. And so he's called, the, the author here is calling out, when we see in Peter this idea of divine power granted by God, it's parallel to Paul saying we've been indwelled, we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. That God has actually given us His Spirit to dwell in us. Or, or by John saying we need to be born again. We need to be born of God. This participation in the divine nature is not something earned through human rights or efforts. But it is a gift of God that leads in turn to ethical living. And we've got to have this impetus of the Gospel. When we start to talk about ethical living, when we start to talk about how should I obey? How should I follow You, Lord? We can't start with trying to earn God's favor. We have to start with God's gift. And that's what this quote is showing us. That's what Peter's telling us. He's given us this gift, this grace. We, another term we throw around is grace. We throw that around a lot. And it, it, it can mean a couple things. I'm just going to highlight two. Grace is unmerited blessing. First and foremost, that God has blessed me when I deserved it the least. And secondly, grace is supernatural sovereign provision. That God has not only blessed me when I deserve it the least, but He's supplied me with Himself, His power, His Holy Spirit. He's providing for me in His sovereignty the way to follow Him. And because of that, now I can go and live out what He calls me to. But our society doesn't want to point us to this power. Our society often, and we can get lost and swept up into this as well, points us to a contrary power. 
and a different power source, and that's just ourselves. And so I wanted to, there's, a, there's an author and, and a professor, he wrote the book Disruptive Witness, a guy named Alan Noble. And he, does a, he, he wrote this article called On Living, and he's really talking about suffering. And why do we suffer and how should we suffer knowing Christ? But he really hits on this idea of technique. And that so much of our lives and our world is rooted in just kind of manifesting and working out some technique to help us have a better and more comfortable life. So he says this, Living in a society governed by technique inclines us to imagine life is easier than it ever is. Here's the definition then. Technique is the use of rational methods to maximize efficiency. So I just got to use my mind and kind of work it out so I have maximum efficiency. The use of rational methods to maximize efficiency. He says, and we see it everywhere. Time-saving technology, apps that maximize our workouts, medicines that drown out irrational thoughts, ubiquitous entertainment in our pockets, and scientifically proven methods for parenting, working, eating, shopping, budgeting, folding clothes, sleeping, sex, dating, and buying a car. The promise of technique is that we are collectively overcoming all the challenges in life through research, technology, and discipline. All you have to do, all you have to do in the world of technique is find the right self-help book or life hack or app or life coach or devotional. And he continues. He says, and this is exactly why technique's promise that life is easier than ever becomes just another source of dread. We've really got to see what he's saying here. He says, if life doesn't have to be this hard, if there are answers and methods and practices that can solve my problems, then it's really my fault that I'm overwhelmed or a failure. Sure, systems can be corrupt, nobody's perfect, and not everyone's born with the same gifts, but we have methods for overcoming these hindrances. So if I'm not living to my full potential, I am to blame. You see why that's a source of dread? Why that can tear our hearts apart? Man, I look around on Instagram, I scroll, that's, that seems like a much better life than mine. Am I even okay? I should be doing this. I should be at this place in my career right now. My kids should look like this. They should have this, these grades. I should have this level of success in relationships, and I don't. I should figure this out. And if I can't, the problem is me. But what he's saying is when we live by technique, it's all about me. I've got to, all I have is my eyes on myself. I've got to be the one to figure it out. I just have to find the right things to make my life better. I came to Christ later in life, and I remember talking to someone who had known me before I came to Christ and then after, and, and he said, you, it's cool that you found faith to change your life. You hear what he's saying? Faith, Jesus was a tool, just in a, just in a toolkit. You found Him and, and He changed your life by your actions. But that's not what the Gospel teaches us. We look at these movie and TV characters and we, it's so easy to admire the characters that can bend the world to their will. There's so many different anti-heroes now that they can bend the world. They're gifted in some way and they can make the world serve them. 
But what if true life is not found by bending the world to our will, but by bending our will to the will of God? What if true life is not found by getting everything to work in our favor, but in by saying to God, Thy will be done, no matter what the cost. And so this is what Peter's calling us out on. And he calls us to remember that we have escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. We just sang about God so loved the world that He sent His Son, but the world is corrupted. You think about corruption, the best illustration is probably rust. That if, if your car gets rusty, it gets to a point there's nothing you can do. It's just going to keep rusting away. We can use sometimes that paint. I used some paint once. It did not work. Rain still got in. Um, but we've escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And this is the difference with the Gospel and other religions. God supplies us the power to obey. He doesn't stop at just, okay, I'm going to justify you, but now you figure it out on your own, and if you can obey enough, you'll get to me. No. It says His divine power has granted to us all things. He's given us His Spirit. He's indwelt us, and He's shown us through the knowledge of Jesus how to live. And so technique then is not better than trust. And all the strategy in the world is not better than having a changed heart. See, this is the difference that the Gospel declares that we can't earn our way to God. We need new life. Paul describes it this way in Romans 6. He says of Christ, we were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death. You can't have new life if you don't die. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. See what Paul's saying here? He's rooting it in the fact. He's rooting our freedom from sin in the fact that Christ has died and we therefore have died with Him. If you've put your faith in Jesus, that is dying with Jesus. The symbol of baptism, which is this passage often builds on, is, is I've gone to the grave with Jesus and I've rose with Him. His resurrection life is my resurrection life. The fact that the casket door was a swinging door for Him means the casket door is a swinging door for me because I've been united with Him, not by my good works, but simply by believing in His name. And now because I have, I've been set free from sin. That my desires actually are changed now. I've gone from being rust to being a new creation. And I have true freedom. But we have to ask then, okay, that sounds well and good. How do we walk in this newness of life? If I've been made new, how do I live it out? And the way we do that is through gospel knowledge. And just this, this reality, this great reality, that Jesus makes God known to us. And we see that again in 2 Peter here. He says, we've granted us all this, these things, how? Through the knowledge of Jesus, who called us to His own glory and excellence. 
If you are going to climb a ladder, you want to make sure it's on the right building. Peter's telling us the way to know God is through Jesus. And only Jesus. There are many false gods in the world. We call those idols. Bruce was praying for the service beforehand and and mentioned idols. And how do I know? Idol just means a false god. Something that I worship in the place of God. And how do I know I'm doing that? How do I know I've made that shift? It's when I am willing to disobey what God says in service of the thing that I think has to happen. I'll give an example. I am a Packers fan. Sorry if you're not a um, tough break, but many are called, few are chosen. That's what I always say. <laughs> Go Pack. Uh, but, and I love Aaron Rodgers. He's my quarterback. But I don't worship Aaron Rodgers. And if I do, how do I know I'm doing that? When he messes up, I can't forgive him. When he succeeds, all my hopes in that. If we lose, I'm devastated. My identity's shaken. That's how you know that I've traded him for God or the Packers for God. I'm willing to betray my allegiance to God. I'm willing to disobey. I'm willing to sin in service of that idol. But Peter says, God has made available to us all things that pertain to life and godliness by knowing Jesus. Because when we know Jesus, we actually know the Father. I took this. This is from John 14. And Jesus is starting to prepare His disciples for His death. And He's telling them, He's going to start to tell them about the Spirit coming. And He's telling them He's going to leave and prepare a place for them. And they're fearful. And Thomas doubts. And Philip doubts. And Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know Me? And now this is the culmination of biblical revelation right here, this sentence. Whoever has seen Me has seen the Father. Genesis all the way through Malachi and now the New Testament have been revealing more and more of God. And now Jesus is saying, here I am. You are looking Him in the eye. All religious and irreligious people are wondering who is God. And Jesus is saying, if you've seen Me, you've seen Him. This is the miracle of the Gospel that Jesus is the incarnate revelation of God. He's His Son. He's His imprint. He's His image. So to know Jesus is to know God. Because Jesus came from God and Jesus is God. That's true knowledge. And we find that in the Scriptures. There's a lot of Man, it's so easy right now on the internet to get pulled away by this news reporting or this conspiracy theory or all these different things. I feel like we've got so much information coming at us. How do we know what is true? We look to the face of Jesus. We look to the Scriptures. And we let those determine what is true. We give the Scripture highest authority. And we let that speak in even when it's uncomfortable. And so Jesus is going to show us the Father. And I want to get to that by way of going a little bit further back in in John chapter 12. And so it's getting to be the time of the Passover. And it says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. 
Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And so these Gentiles are kind of lingering around this Passover feast. They've heard all about Jesus. These Greeks, the reason I say Gentiles, it says Greeks. And see what they do. They go to someone that maybe was more familiar with them. Philip was from Bethsaida in Galilee, so he might have some friends that are Gentiles or he's grown up around them. So he's their inroad. Hey, can we see Jesus, bud? Can we get in? And it's really interesting what happens. When Jesus comes to realize that the Greeks are there, he realizes that all peoples are now starting to come to him which means it's the hour that He's to go to the cross. It says the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Glorified just, glory just means weight. The heaviness of a thing. You hear sometimes like when a celebrity walks in, there's a different weight. You feel the weight of it. And he says the weight of who I am is going to be revealed. The hour is coming. He's going to reveal the Father. Michael Reeves in the book Delighting in the Trinity says this, Jesus is the glory of His Father shining out from the Father and perfectly enlightening us to see what the Father is like. Jesus reveals the Father. And now Jesus Himself is to be glorified. That is, we are now going to see His innermost being and weight displayed. When Jesus goes to the cross, we're going to see who He really is. And Reeves continues, what does it look like? A seed dying to bear fruit, for he was speaking of his death. Astonishingly, the moment when Jesus reaches the deepest point of his humiliation, the cross, is the moment when he is glorified and most clearly seen for who he is. On the cross, we see the glorification of the glory of God, the deepest revelation of the very heart of God, and it is all about laying down his own life to give life, to bear fruit. So here we see the giver of life giving his life that we may have life. The incorruptible one dies on a cross for the corrupt so that we can now turn from those sinful desires, turn from those false gods to the living God. And so this is the, the change of the cross. We have to have the cross at the center when we think about our ethical conduct. That we know Jesus now. And the cross makes it possible for us to live by the promises. That's what Peter's going to say. By which He has granted to us precious and very great promises so that through them you be, may become partakers of the divine nature. Living by promises is living by faith. He's granted us these promises so that we can live by the promises, that we can trust God and who He is. That we can know Jesus in the Word. And not in just the way of some rote memorization. Memorizing the Bible is excellent. But beyond that, to personal, intimate, I know You. I'm close to You. I understand Your ins and outs. I know Your tics. Life-giving, sustaining relationship. That's what we get, that's what Peter's saying. God's power has made this real for us. That we get to partake in who God is because we've escaped this corruption. But we, this leaves us with another big question now. 
And that's a big word. Sanctification just means godliness, being made more holy, more like God. Who does the work in our sanctification? And I'm going to go to Paul first and then to Peter here. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church in conflict, particularly a couple individuals are in conflict. And he reminds them of Christ coming down, being humbled to death on a cross, and now reminds them that Christ is exalted on a throne. But he says, Therefore, because of that, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Because of what Christ has done, Paul says, work it out with fear and trembling. But then what does he say? For it is God who works in you. Get to work. Why? Because God is at work in you. Both to will and to work for His good pleasure. See, God delights in making us like Jesus. He's at work in us. And so we just lean into that. Peter's going to say it this way in our passage. For this very reason, because of the grace of God to you, because you know Jesus, make every effort, make every effort, do whatever it takes to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. I love that this goes up from faith to love. That's the walk. Christian maturity looks like someone who loves well. He says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, that knowledge that you've had, if you keep pursuing these qualities, because God's at work in you, it keeps you from being ineffective and unfruitful. That means we're going to be effective and fruitful when we live in this way. And in the knowledge of our Lord, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from former sins. So we've got to remember the Gospel. Peter wants us to call back to that. He wants us to remember that we were cleansed from our former sins so that we can be fruitful and effective. He wants us to remember that God has saved us by His divine power and by revealing Jesus to us. Therefore, we make every effort. So, so first we look at these qualities. We see these beautiful qualities. Virtue, knowledge, Self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. These things ever-increasing in our lives. But it starts with faith. And we work toward love. And what Peter really wants us to see is don't forget where you came from. When you're thinking about making every effort, don't forget where you started. Where were you? You were the lost sheep. You were the prodigal son. You were rebellious. You were a sinner. And He saved you. So we've got to remember where we came from. And we do that by Gospel perseverance. And so this is kind of twofold here. The first thing we do is we look forward to the reign of Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus Christ is on the throne right now. Ruling over all things. 
But He hasn't yet ushered in that eternal day. So we look forward to that day and we look backward to the cross and what that meant for us in order to live faithfully in the present. Peter says it here in the rest of our passage. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And just, just hit me right now. If we know Peter's story, we know he's one that fell. And he was restored by Christ. So he knows what it's like to fall, and yet he's telling us, practice these qualities, and you won't fall. He says, for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So first, we've got to look forward. We've got to look forward to this richly provided entrance. There will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom. I'm thinking like a parade. I'm thinking, you know, in the Super Bowl and you win the Super Bowl, and you get the giant ring, but then you get all the endorsement deals and stuff afterward too? That we've been saved in Christ, and now we get to adorn that faith, to decorate that faith with our good works, with our conduct. We're already in, but now we get to sign some of those endorsement deals and cash in and show our faith off so that we get to make an entrance. And then he says, therefore I always intend to remind you of these qualities. He wants to stir us up by way of reminder. Peter wants us to continually look back to the Gospel. Last week in Bruce's application, he said we've got to continually preach the Gospel to ourselves. Martin Luther used to say we've got to beat it into our heads. Because that has to be the source and center of all of our ethical living. We've got to remember where we came from and what we've been called to and then we've got to seek Him for His power. And so we get some applications here. One, I've, I've got to investigate my desires. Two, I, I've got to resolve to know God. i really got to buckle down and just get it. I'm going to do that Bible in a year this year. And then i really, I just got to start looking forward to that day and i got to look backward to Jesus, to the cross. We've got to consider why. I love this. New Year's resolutions. Quit making New Year's resolutions. That's an easy one to do. But why? Why do New Year's resolutions fail? And my contention is we look to ourselves. And we look to technique. So then when we get these applications, I, this actually, I don't want to say that. Because if I just say that, if I just say, okay, everybody, go investigate your desires. Hey, resolve to know God this year. Look forward and backward. I've left you not with the Gospel. I've left you with moralism. I've left you with, you. go make your life better. Just apply that tool. Apply these tools and you'll make your life better. Now, steps are good. And taking steps of action is good, but we have to remember that if I only present that, I'm just presenting self-trust and not the Gospel. If, the gospel, if moralism is just do it, the Gospel is Jesus done it. Um, this week I got to do a like little pastor study retreat 
and I was I started to work on this sermon, and I was like, man, I am, I got nothing. I, my I just was spiritually dry. I was the unmotivated. I was not into it. And I, so I, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, why can I not? Normally, could communicate. I can, whatever. I'm like, why have I? I have writer's block. I have spiritual writer's block almost. And I was reminded of John 15.5 where Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I realized I've been completely prayerless that morning when I was trying to work on that. I just thought, I'll get up. I'll just get it done. I got this. I do this for a living. What, what's so hard? And I forgot to depend on the Lord. I forgot where I came from. Thankfully, he reminded me, and, and the Apostle Paul reminds us, and we can actually apply this. Paul in Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we get back to the Gospel, when we see Paul right here, this is like his life statement. He's oriented his life around these truths. We can apply this. We can investigate our desires because we've been crucified with Christ. My old self has died. The old self that desired those false things has died with Christ. I can resolve to know God because Christ lives in me. And I can look forward and backward because I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And so I think what I've been really presenting here, and, I, and again, just real quick, that gave Himself for me. Paul says He loved me and gave Himself for me. That's not a corporate. He's saying Jesus had me in mind. I was on His heart when He went to the cross. That's intimate, personal knowledge. He loved me and gave Himself for me. And so we talk a lot about justification by faith. That that idea that I can be made right with God, I can be justified, I can be vindicated by faith in Jesus. I mentioned it earlier. That when I believe in Him, I get His righteousness. He takes my sin to the cross, I get His righteousness. It's the great exchange. And one way to describe that would be just as if I'd never sinned. Which is good. And that's not wrong. But it's incomplete. Because justification isn't just as if I'd never sinned. It's just as if I'd always done everything right according to God. And that's what Jesus did. And by faith in Him, when God looks at me, that's what He sees. But there's another part of justification by faith, and there's sanctification by faith. That is, God makes me holy. God has already made me holy. 1 Corinthians 1 says that Christ became our sanctification. That if I'm righteous in Christ, that means I'm also holy in Christ. And yet I haven't arrived. By no means have I arrived. But I am. When God looks at me, He sees me as holy. And so the way then to be sanctified, to grow, is to believe the Gospel. Sanctification is by faith. In the same way that justification is by faith. Which means sanctification isn't, okay, God, you justified me, now it's all up to me. It means, okay, God, you justified me, now help me. You promised, now back it up. And He always does. 
But as we think about it, what can God do? Let's open our imaginations. What can God do if we live in gospel power through knowing Jesus with faithful perseverance? If there's one thing that these last two years have revealed to us now that we're in 2021, it's that, man, faithful perseverance is precious. Allison was asking me if I'd had any mountaintop moments preparing the sermon, and I kind of didn't. But I realized that you don't need that. I mean, yes, those are great. And Jesus, it's great to experience Christ that way. But man, sometimes you just got to cling to Him through, through the weeks, through the days, through the hours. What can God do? Let's just think through three. And just this is just daydreaming. You can apply, think through in your own life. Godliness, experiencing Christ's power. What if God really shows up this year for me to conquer sin? Now let's just apply it. One, one example is anger. That in traditionally in, in my family, the men in my family have a lineage of anger. It's what we're known for. We got hot tempers. But what and what if Jesus changes me? What if I start living by what he says about anger? And what if his spirit actually moves me to stop? Not only does that now change my life, that changes generations in my family. We could stop it right there. Just kind of daydream through things. What if, what if I really know and show God's love? You know, we wake up every day, I know I do, I should say, with just a Grinch-sized heart. I really, I'm just a curmudgeon until I get to know and understand who Jesus is. And my heart grew eight sizes that day. I think it's eight. I, I didn't watch the movie this year. But what if we do? What if we persevere through loving hard people? I mean, we just came out of the holidays and... Uh, Family can be tough. And then you realize, wait, I also contribute to that. I can be very hard to be around as well. Um, but man, what if we just got to know how much Jesus loved us this year? And what if then that reflected back to how we loved others? And then lastly, mission. Perseverance and pursuit. Again, it's, it's so easy to lose our joy in the Gospel. It's so easy to kind of get get a little bit cowardly about sharing our faith. It just is the easier way. What if we just died to self this year? What if we realize that we have so much joy in Christ that we can't contain it? i got to tell people. I have to be willing to confront people that don't know Jesus and say, I think you're living in the wrong story. I think you're climbing the wrong ladder. But here's the reality of all these. Again, we can only do these if we're in Jesus and we can only do these by faith that I'll just go back to sin or I'll go back to self-sufficiency instead of trusting in His power for godliness. That I'll just choose to get up every day and kind of remain a curmudgeon, remain a Grinch, instead of remembering how much He loved me and now displaying that to others. That I will choose the cowardice and the joylessness of not sharing my faith. That's where I'm going to go if I don't live in Jesus. But thankfully, we can. We have Jesus. We know Him. So then we do, we, we can say with a gospel motivation, with what he's done for us at the core of our hearts, what will we resolve to believe in what God can do in 2020? Here's the good news. We don't have to be impressive. He is. He's not asking for our technique. He's asking for our trust. 
We can resolve to believe in Jesus in 2021 and see what God does with it. We can believe in His power. We can believe in His love. We can believe in His death on a cross. We can believe in His resurrection life. We can believe in His perseverance in pursuing sinners. And we can look to Him for the strength. That's the intimate knowledge thing. I won't keep pursuing sinners. If someone's hard, I'll just forget about them until I remember how hard I was and He found me. He sought me. And then we can shower them with life and love and grace the way that He did. So today, we can believe in Jesus. And again, because we don't have to be impressive, it's just stacking days. Just day-by-day faithfulness, trusting Him. That's really all it is. It's the same with weight loss or anything. You've got to do it faithfully day after day. And today's just another day that we get to choose Jesus. But will you choose Jesus today? And will you choose Him every day of 2020? All right, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we just look to You as the God of grace. That You are one who, and the only one who can continually give of Himself. And You show that most fully when You reveal that Your divine power has given us everything we need to have true life and godliness and how through the knowledge of Jesus. That You have made Yourself known to us through Jesus. You've made the pathway to life available, not through us just figuring it out by our own technique and wisdom. No, Your revelation and His death on a cross and His resurrection life, God. And because of that, now we actually get to live this out. And I pray that, God, would You, would you just bear fruit? Would You blow us away that even a month from now, a year from now, we could look back and say, wow, God sure was faithful. And look at what He did. We praise You for that. We praise You as we look ahead to this year that we trust that You are at work even when it seems like You're not. God, we know because of the cross, because Jesus walked out of the grave, that You're at work even when it doesn't look like it. So help us to believe, help us to persevere, and help us to trust You this year. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Next week, we're continuing the View From Here series. We also have multiple podcasts to check out, including Genesis, Crossroads, Ruth, Faithworks, and Glory. For upcoming news and events, check out our website at mycityonahill.org.